When you were going to Trinity, did you have a mentor who was an alumni of the school? Jacob Tingle did. Tingle was into sports at Trinity, and Scott Williams, a 1989 graduate, coached at the university during Tingle's senior year, 1995. After Tingle's graduation, the two stayed in touch and have been close friends ever since. Today, Scott Williams is the managing partner and co-founder of Panorama Consulting. He began his fundraising career at St. John's University, where he later served as Associate Vice President for Alumni and Donor Relations. Jacob Tingle is Trinity's Director of Experiential Learning. This is the Trinity University Learning Together podcast series, and I'm Nathan Cohn. And today, you're going to hear a conversation between Jacob Tingle and Scott Williams. You'll hear which books and authors helped shape Scott's mindset early on in his life, plus what Trinity meant to him and how it influenced his life. Scott also shares his perspectives as an African-American about athlete activism, especially taking a knee during the national anthem and his family's relationship to the flag. It's really great to, to be here with you today. As you know, we first met when I was 19 years old, and, and you've been such an important mentor and figure in my life. Um, and so it's been it's been great um, to connect and talk a little bit more uh, in depthly about some things uh, over the last three or four months that are kind of deeper level conversations than, than we've had in the past. But just just for the, the sake of, of our listeners, do you know just you know, briefly, who are you and, and what do you do now? I am uh, I'm Scott Williams, as you know, and I'm a, I'm a, a graduate of Trinity, uh, class of 1989. I had a pretty varied background from working in the U.S. Secret Service to working in fundraising and alumni relations at both the university level and at the private school level being a consultant, both a major international consulting firm and then creating my own firm called Panorama Consulting. I'm someone that's passionate about sort of giving back and making this world a better place than I found it, helping to lift people up, uh, to be involved in my community. I've been a strong supporter of Trinity over the years and really honored to be a part of this podcast and be able to share some of my story and perspectives on life. Great. Well, let's start off. I'm always fascinated. You know, this is maybe the professor in me, um, but always fascinated by um, by books uh, and what people read or or have read. So, can you just talk a little bit about some some authors or or some books that matter to you? Um, you know, early in your life. Certainly, um, <laughs> it's kind of um, interesting that you asked me about books because I'm not, or ne- and I never have been an avid reader. But because of my my parents' insistence that uh, I be someone that understands the world and how it works, uh, I was forced to read a lot. Uh, (laughs) I went to a private school where I was forced to read a lot, and then I went to a private university where I was forced to read a lot. So uh, I guess I can handle that question. (laughs) Um, I guess I'd say that I've read many of the classics, uh, you know, from the Odyssey, the Iliad by Homer, Inferno by Dante. Um, Hamlet and uh, Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, uh, some of the Shakespeare classics, uh, um, Moby Dick by Herman Melville, The Crucible, uh, uh, Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller, um, even The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer uh, by Mark Twain. You know, I, I read all those books and they're all very important literary works and uh, I think all young people should read them. Um, but for me, 
they didn't pull me in uh, or engage me per se, uh, say as as books uh, that told stories of African American experience. Um, yeah. And I wish we had read more um, literature written by and about African American history when I was in school. You know, my mom, she was an educator, and she really made it a point to get me books that shared the stories of Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, and, uh, you know, she would bring me contemporary books. Uh, so I read Arthur Ashe's books at a young age, uh, A Hard Road to Glory, um, which I think I shared with you in some of her earlier um, communications. Uh, yeah. It's a book that I thought would be helpful for you in your class. But that's a history of African-American athlete. It's a multi-volume series um, which chronicled the history of black athletes in the context of uh, American society and cultural life. And then he wrote a book called Days of Grace, which is another book that really drew me in, where um, he shares his experiences growing up in segregated Richmond, Virginia, integrating the all-white game of tennis, going on to UCLA to be a tennis star there and to eventually win Wimbledon and be the captain of the Davis team, contracting AIDS, uh, from a blood transfusion of all things, his opposition to apartheid, carrying the burden of race during his life and the comfort that he found and the resolve he found through his religion and spiritual life. These were books that really resonated with me, especially in um, in the times that we're, we're experiencing now where our country's reckoning with race and racism. I think those are books that young people, people in college should be reading. Um, I would also say... Uh, when I first came to Trinity, my first year, I had a professor, and I believe his name was Edward McGee. He was only there in my first year, and then he left, unfortunately, um, to move on. But um, he had us read, and we discussed a book called Down These Mean Streets um, by a gentleman named Piri Thomas, P-I-R-I, Thomas. And Piri, he was a Puerto Rican and Cuban-American who identified as a black man uh, because of his Afro-Puerto Rican heritage. He grew up in Spanish Harlem in New York City, which was riddled at the time with crime and violence. And he made some bad choices. He joined a gang, eventually went on to prison. And while he was in prison, he had this reckoning and awakening and made a commitment to change his life and dedicate himself to working with at-risk youth. When I read the book, it resonated with me because my father grew up in Harlem and he was from those same mean streets. And I actually, uh, as I was thinking about this interview, I went and I've kept a few of my college papers. They're all yellow and crusted now and wrinkly. <laughs> but um, I actually found the paper, and it was entitled, My Father Walked Those Same Mean Streets. And I might add, I received a 99 on it, one of the highest grades I ever got for a paper <laughs> uh, at Trinity. <laughs> but there were many similarities I found between Fury Thomas and my dad and um, my father was, um, he was surrounded by strong adults, and positive influences, which led him to make good choices in life. While Perry, um, unfortunately, joined the gang and made some bad choices, mm. which led him down a path of crime and eventually imprisonment. However, uh, I think both men, they used their life experiences to teach the next generation about social and cultural life in Harlem uh, and their struggles to overcome race and racism during their lives. And of course, I have to end with this by this question by just saying my the book I think that made the most impact on my life and mattered the most to me was I Am the American, which is a biography about my father and his mm -hmm. life. It chronicles uh, his life growing up in New York City as a young 
um, with a young mom who was single, who was a domestic, who and, and his struggles to navigate life in a racist world from childhood to his time when he served in the U.S. Army to uh, being on the New York City Transit Police Department and uh, and beyond, uh, really raising us, his family. So uh, um, I appreciate that question. Uh, it, it's it, it's one that um, I don't often answer because I'm I kind of steer away from. Um, answering questions around literary works. It's not my expertise, but yeah. those are some things that I think really resonate to me. Well, it, it's clear that, that those those four books all touch on, on things that are really important to you. And, and one of the things that, you know, I, I talk to colleagues who are, are in our School of Education, for example, and, um, and thinking, you know, about we really, you know, continue to need to do better to allow uh, young people in particular to see themselves in the text you, you talked a little bit about your 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 father and his book, um, and then and then the, the Peary Thomas book, and, and how that allowed you to see your father in literature and maybe yourself. Talk to us just a little bit about you know about your life journey. What are things that have been important to you? Um, maybe milestones or important elements helping you become the person you are today. I guess I'll start out with just by saying my, my my parents, you know, I had amazing parents who were loving, caring, who worked really hard, uh, who did not have a lot. Uh, they were both civil servants uh, for New York City, but they put every bit of their energy and their time and their financial resources, which, which was limited, into us. Um, and I say us, meaning me and my sisters. Um, I was fortunate. Uh, I had an amazing childhood uh, with many, many wonderful adult role models um, that were in my life beyond my parents. One of those people who uh, I, I, I must mention, I think, uh, who, who helped to shape me uh, is a gentleman named Ed Ingalls. He just recently passed away. Ed, he was a neighbor of ours, and he was the sportscaster and a journalist. Um, he was actually the sports director for WCBS Radio uh, in New York um, and was the voice of the New York Jets and St. John's basketball in the 1980s when I was growing up as a teenager. You know, the have someone like that who's your next door neighbor, um, mm. you know, not every kid gets to have that kind of experience. And he would take me to games with him. And, uh, you know, we'd ride into uh, Shea Stadium where the Jets played or he tells you how old I am. The Jets were playing in Chase Stadium at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, he also uh, would take me to St. John's uh, University or to Madison Square Garden to watch the St. John's games. And I'd get to go with him mm. and be in the locker room when he was interviewing Coach Lou Carnesecca, you know, to Jeez. do the pregame show. Or when he was uh, interviewing Walt Michaels, the head coach of the Jets, or Richard Todd, who was the quarterback of the Jets at the time, you know, and and here I was, his kid, you know, just sitting there on his wing, you know, getting wow. to experience this and, and sit in the booth with him and the great Marty Glickman. I don't know if you probably <laughs> yeah. know who Marty Glickman is, but yeah. the listening audience may not know that Marty Glickman was really the founding father of sportscasting in the United States, you know. And um, um, so I got to sit and watch them as they did their craft. And so I naturally... I wanted to be a radio sportscaster and I went to training and I studied communication with the hope that I was going to go into radio sportscasting. Um, little did I realize that my salary starting out would be really low. 
<laughs> and then I, I wouldn't, I'd have to probably go to some rural town somewhere in the middle of the United States. And that probably wasn't going to be a great experience for a number of years. And so I, my junior year quickly shifted uh, to law enforcement and really followed the footsteps of my dad. And I wound up going into United States Secret Service, Uniform Division, where I was a police officer under President George H.W. Bush and William Clinton. Um, I had an amazing experience there. I then wound up coaching locally and was asked if I would consider coming to Trinity to coach football. And I wound up leaving the Secret Service and going to Trinity where I coached football, track and field, and baseball for one year. Um, and after my dad passed away, my, my, my world was completely shaken underneath me. Um, and so I moved back to New York um, after being at Trinity for two and a half years and uh, um, went to St. John's University in New York, where I became an assistant football coach and did that for a number of years. And then I was recruited to join alumni relations and fundraising office at St. John's University. And that led to a long career in, in fundraising. I've been in this, this career now for close to 20 plus years. Recently created um, my own consulting company called Panorama Consulting, which provides nonprofit organizations with fundraising and management, organizational guidance and advice. And uh, really enjoy my work and allows me to continue to work with great organizations doing good work. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation with Scott Williams and Jacob Tingle. You mentioned at the beginning, just a really interesting and certainly kind of non-linear, you know, career path. And, and that's one of the things that we often try to talk to our students about is, is be open to new experiences and, and, uh, and, you know, saying yes to things that are at all interesting to you because you never know where they're going to take you or where you're going to lead. And, and just, uh, you know, again, a kind of an interesting connection for me that, you know, Marty Glickman, some folks might not know him as a broadcaster, but some folks might know about you know, his involvement in the 1936 Berlin games, his spot was taken by Jesse Owens, right? And so it's yep. really interesting. Just there's another connection for me that, that you know, you talk about Arthur Ashe and you talk about Marty Glickman, that, that people who were really involved in, in social justice and kind of the confluence of social justice and sport, which I will talk a little bit later. But again, just a really uh, fascinating connection. I knew you knew Ed, but I didn't realize that Marty Glickman was part of that circle too. That's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to have those kind of connections in your life. It's just amazing. Like you talk about role models who aren't in the family uh, as, as being important. You talked a little bit about, you know, the, the sacrifices that your parents made for, for you and, and your sisters. Can you just a, a, a little bit more detail about what, what some of those were and, and what some of the things that you all were able to experience because of their their commitment to y'all's intellectual and physical development? Certainly. Yeah. Um and I, I, I do my best not to get emotional. When I speak about my parents, I oftentimes uh, get emotional because I know the sacrifices that they made. Um, and they were, they were big sacrifices. Uh, but um, I feel blessed uh, to have had parents um, who really 
put education first and put all of our experiences as children in the household first before themselves. Um, my mother was, as I mentioned, she was a uh, public servant. She was a school teacher in the public school system of New York. Uh, and my dad was a New York City transit police officer. They didn't have a lot of money. Um, but with the little that they had, they found a way to um, save as much as they could, to always uh, to move us steadily from one neighbor to another. And every time we made a move, we moved to a nicer uh, neighborhood. So, you know, when I was first born, we lived in Queens, New York. And then my parents were able to purchase a home in Hempstead, Long Island. And we lived there. And again, knowing how much you love sports. So Hempstead is known because that's the town where John Mackey, the great football player, was from. Um, It's also the town where Kenneth Chenault, the CEO of American Express, uh, former Hmm. CEO of American Express, grew up. Um, And um, so this was a town that, um, you know, sort of in the time when blacks had very limited places they could move, Hempstead was a town that was integrated. Uh, And so my parents were able to purchase a home there. Um, And then they moved us to Freeport, uh, a a town um, near the water, a fishing town that was integrated neighborhood. Um, And we moved to a section of the neighborhood that wasn't so integrated, but yet um, they pushed themselves to find a way to get us into that neighborhood. Um, And all while doing so, sending us to a private school in Garden City, Long Island called the Waldorf School of Garden City. So they they were <laughs> paying large taxes and also paying significant amount of private school tuition for three students, children, to go to school. And that sacrifice meant they couldn't go on vacations. Mm. They didn't get new clothes. I remember my dad putting, um, resoling his own shoes. Uh, you know, me saying to my father, why don't you go buy a new pair of shoes? He said, because if I buy a new pair of shoes, you can't go to Waller School, or you can't go get tennis lessons, or you can't have music lessons, or you can't go to summer camp, you know? And wow. I can remember yeah. a neighbor one time saying to my father, while well, we were standing out on the, on the front of our house, and my dad and his neighbor were talking, and um, the neighbor kind of made a joke to my dad, why are you still driving that old, beat-up Chevy Vega, um, which was an old, terrible car that Chevrolet came out with, um, and my dad drove it forever. Um, and he used to put oatmeal in the, in the um, um, radiator to keep it from leaking you know <laughs> and he said because my Cadillac is sitting right here under my arm and he's pointing to me and then he pointed up to the house and he said my my Porsche is practicing a violin and then he made up some other name I forget what the car was but it was some other luxury car he said she's downstairs practicing a piano and what he what he meant by that is while you have all these luxury items and your kids are going to the local public school and they're all doing drugs and in trouble, my kids, I'm sacrificing for. You know, and I didn't realize that until later on in life when I really paid attention to what he said and what he meant by that comment. So they sacrificed a ton for us to provide us uh, the very best that they could of everything. And uh, I'm always be eternally grateful uh, to them. I appreciate you sharing that. And again, I I know, like you said, um, you know, it it can be a little emotional talking about your dad. So, you know, just as we move into the, to the, you know, the next, the next question I want to chat with you about, um, 
you know, um, as we were talking the other day, you know, you and I haven't reconnected, um, just, you know, again, having conversations kind of at a, at a, at a different level, uh, than, than we have in, you know, in the previous couple of decades and your June 16th piece called personal reflections on race and racism was, was just really, it prompted a lot of conversations for us that we've had in the last couple of months. And, and I'm wondering specifically, there's so much, and I, I really encourage the listeners, um, to, to find that piece, you can just go to medium.com and type in personal reflections on race and racism and, and read it. But I, I wonder um, if, if you, if you have, you know, if you're okay talking a little bit about, um, I, I was just blown away about the story about when you were 22 year old, 22 years old and a rookie um, in the U S secret service, if you could talk a little bit about an incident that happened in Laurel, Maryland. Sure. I guess I should also just mention it's important for people to understand. Um, I, I just described a really idyllic, amazing childhood. But I think it's also important that I realized at an early age, because of a number of incidents um, that happened to me or that I saw happen to my parents, uh, that I was still living. I was living in this world as a second class citizen. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, that being black was different, that somehow we were looked down upon. Um, this, revel- this revelation scarred me early on in my life, uh, something I had to learn how to live with and overcome throughout my life. Um, you know, and so you mentioned the article that I wrote um, earlier this summer. I, uh, I do hope that folks will find that article and read it because there are a lot of incidents that you and I could take. It's a whole nother podcast to talk about yeah. sort of um, <laughs> what's happened to me or my parents, et cetera. Um, but just to give context, um, now I was in the secret service. I had just gotten out of training. I was in Laurel, Maryland with a good friend of mine, uh, who also was in the secret service, um, and had graduated the class prior to me. So he was, you know, maybe a month and a half ahead of me, um, in training. And he had a beautiful new BMW that he purchased when he got the job and, we used to drive. I didn't have my car yet. And we were driving around and we were actually driving from having gone grocery shopping. I believe it was, we were heading back to his apartment. We swung around. Robin was driving the car and we swung to the right and passed a police vehicle that was making a left-hand turn into an apartment complex off a uh, single lane road. And we followed the stream of about three or four, maybe five cars that all did the same maneuver and pulled past this police officer. Well, here Robin and I go and make the same move. And all of a sudden there's lights and siren on and the police officer's pulling us over. And I'm mm. like looking at Robin, like, what? you gotta be kidding me. Like, what is this? You know? And, uh, so we both pulled our badges out and our commission books, um, before the police officer got to the car, he gets to the car he questions uh, Robin as to why he passed him on the right. Robin's like, uh, I followed the flow of traffic, and, you know, passed you safely and continued on my way. Can I ask why you're pulling me over? He says, well, it's illegal to pass on the right. You know, we got into it. Robin asking, you know, why are you pulling me over when four or five other cars passed you? You know, and uh, we knew we were being pulled over because we were, quote unquote, black while driving. Uh black while driving a BMW, um, you know, and, um, you know, Robin then said, listen, I, I just want you to know 
um, and I'm hoping you can extend some courtesy. We are um, Secret Service, you know, sold our badges and commission books. And of course, you know, the police officer let us go. Um, but again, that just shows, you know, that these things happen and they happen often. And yeah. I often have thought about that incident and wondered, okay, so what if Robin and I didn't have credentials? What if we weren't in the Secret Service? And Robin yeah. pushed back on this police officer like he did. Would we still be here? You know, and um, it's just uh, it's just a shame that these things do happen. Um, and it's very unfortunate. Yeah, well, I... I... I really appreciate, you know, again, your willingness to, to share that story and, you know, the, the video that you posted yesterday, uh, you know, on, on Twitter about the, you know, the, the a video of, um, what appears to be, a uh, you know, a Caucasian guy driving a pickup truck, just saying all kinds of things to a police officer and that situation ended you know, differently than, than other videos that we've seen. Um, you, you know, I, I, again, just to, to your point that that these things aren't aren't new, um, and and in some ways just completely shocking that that we still live in a country where things like what you described happen. And yeah, and and that's when I first read the article. That's exactly what I thought. It's like, what if you, what if you weren't fellow officers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it it is. Um, it, it what's really disheartening for me is that my father went through these kinds of unfair, hostile uh, stops and had to, and luckily was able to get out of those situations because he was a police officer. Um, and then I, myself, have experienced them on multiple occasions. Um, I actually experienced one when I was driving a van in the state of Mississippi with the Trinity University football team. And there's any former football players on listening to this, they'll remember this story. We got pulled, we were driving to the airport after playing Millsaps and police officers, trooper pulled the van over and I was driving and we were not speeding. And for no reason, he pulled us over. Fortunately, I was just new out of the secret service. I still had, uh, you know, a badge and some credentials I could show. And we were um, allowed to move on, continue our trip. You know, but it, it's, it's, these things happen all the time. Yeah. And you just don't know when it's going to be that one where you get a bad officer or you get an officer having a bad day. Things escalate. Next thing you know, uh, something awful and tragic has happened. Let's kind of go with that a little bit and and I, I think this will will probably be our, our last question because I, I know there's a lot to unpack here but you know you, you've described how much sports have, have been an important part of your life and, and you know certainly have been a huge part of my life uh, and and then you know a lot of the concentric circles for you and me overlap in and around the world of sports and um, you've also talked a lot uh, about uh, activist athletes um, and, and uh, you know uh, Arthur Ashe and 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 others have been important part of, of your lives and and uh, and certainly I, I would I would like to you know think that that a lot of those folks have been you know indirect role models of, of mine and maybe how I try to, to raise my uh, my two sons 
And we've seen recently so much more, um, you know, gosh, it's almost like a, like a return to the, to the late 60s, early 70s in terms of, of uh, athlete activism. Um, and, and specifically, you know, there was, you know, things that Craig Hodges did, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago, but more recently things in and around associated with the national anthem, uh, associated with kind of that level of pomp and circumstance that, that happens uh, often before sporting events. Um, can, can you talk to me a little bit about your feelings um, about athlete activism, but specifically kneeling during the anthem or, or turning your back on the flag or, or those kinds of things that, are, um, that have become really strong, important, symbolic messages? What do you, as a son of a veteran as uh you know a, a former uh you know u.s secret service officer as a son of a police officer what are you thinking or feeling when you see an athlete kneeling or or turning their back during the anthem black indigenous and people of color have always been second-class citizens in this country yet we've fought for and protected this country in every single war the United States has participated in. And I pause just to let people think about that. My father served in the United States Army during the Korean War. He also was a New York City police officer. I served this country in the United States Secret Service. So I get it. But I also think it's important that we realize that the U.S. flag and the Constitution that are supposed to represent all of us really don't. It has never fully represented people of color in this country. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I believe in um, context, right? So yeah. if you... Could bear with me to share a quick story. Um, yeah. So when I um, when I was uh, I was probably a teenager, and my dad and I were out doing some yard work, and it must have been a time around one of the summer holidays, uh, whether it was Fourth of July or Memorial Day or something. But there were, a lot of people were, were flying flags in the neighborhood, and um, I asked my dad, "Why don't we fly a flag on our house?" So my dad. You know, he kind of looked at me and he uh, he stopped what he was doing and he went into a story about when he was in the military, that he was a master sergeant uh, in charge of a special detail transporting German prisoners of war that were still here in the United States during the Korean War. And they were taking them from Fort Campbell to Washington, D.C. I believe Fort Campbell's in Kentucky. And the train stopped to make some mechanical changes. And my father shares that um, with me that he decided to make the decision to take the prisoners off the train. There was a, a restaurant right nearby the station there. They would go into the restaurant, get lunch, and then get back on the train. So he and the detail, he had the detail was all black military and one white soldier. Okay. They take these, uh, these prisoners of war, these German prisoners of war, Nazis into the restaurant. Restaurant owner looks at my father and the black uh, soldiers and says, you can't 
eaten here. And so the white officer, the white soldier, takes, and mind you, my dad's in uniform with stripes on his arm. Yeah. The white soldier takes the prisoners in, they eat, my dad and the other black soldiers eat in the back of the restaurant, behind the restaurant, outside. Talk about the humiliation of being the person in charge of the detail, being an American citizen, and being humiliated like that, you can't go in and eat in the restaurant. He's saying this as his voice is cracking and his eyes are tearing up. And I'm getting emotional. I apologize. He looks at me and he says, son, we have never been considered full citizens. We've never been considered full human beings in this country. We will never fly a flag in this house or from this house as long as the Constitution and that flag doesn't represent us. Jake, I never flew a flag at my home until the after President Obama was elected president. Yeah. And when he was, I said a prayer to my father. I went to Home Depot. I bought a flag and I put it on our house. And since he left office, and I hate to get political, things have changed in this country and I don't fly that flag. Yeah. So I'm all with those athletes that stand up for justice. This country needs to have a full reckoning. And they're standing up for people who have no voice. And there are people that came before them that did just the same, whether it was Jackie Robinson or Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Arthur Ashe, Billie Jean King. They all stood up for things that made our country a better place. What could be more patriotic than what these athletes are doing? I'm yeah. sorry to get emotional. No, I no, that is that is a hard story to hear. Um and and I I just can't imagine how hard a story that is to have lived. Um no, thank you for thank you for sharing that. And I think that really provides some outstanding context for for w- what what we are we are running up against time, but uh, I, I would be remiss not to ask you about about Trinity today, you know, and again, mm-hmm. I think I think that answer that you just provided really does provide some super important context for uh, for Trinity as an institution and, and where it is situated, um, both uh, geographically and historically. You've been an active alum for for you know 30 plus years. You've invested a lot of your your time and your passion and your energies and, and you know resources. Um, and, and Trinity uh, has you mentioned right the the that the book from Fury Thomas. What for you would would you like to see us do as as an institution? How, how can we start to to have that like the reckoning that you you described? Yeah, um, you know, I think Trinity is an incredible university. It has served me and my family exceedingly well. Um, 
there have always been really uh, caring, thoughtful people at the university who I think had students' best interests at heart um, within the context of time, right? Um, personally, I developed deep, loving relationships with many of my professors and coaches, staff members throughout the university. Um, people who come to mind for me are people like Levi Knight. Um, a longtime athletic trainer and equipment manager who was an African-American serving in that position since the early 1940s um, through the time that I was there um, as an athlete and as a student. Um, Dr. Kimmel, Larry Kimmel, uh, who was in the philosophy department, who I never even took a class from him, but he took me on as a mentor and as um, a, a really someone that would help me to choose the right classes to help navigate me through the university because he had a relationship with my sister um, in that same capacity and who did take some of his classes. Um, but he went out of his way um, to help me. Um, and Dr. Robert Blystone uh, from the biology department, who was a, a mentor for the Omega Phi fraternity that I was a member of and I became very close to, as well as George Winters, who was in that same capacity. Um, yeah. So my coaches, George, uh, Gene Norris and, and Bill Blankenship from the football team and, and Coach Wheeler from baseball. Those are some people that really carried me uh, through my four years at the university. Um, and while Trinity never seemed to have a large number of black students while I was there, um, for the most part, I felt welcomed on campus. Uh, I know the current students of color have voiced a number of issues and incidents um, around race and racism um, that the university community is taking up. I think it's important that we realize uh, that when I was a student at Trinity, I made uh, a fully informed decision to attend sort of a quote unquote white school. You know, I didn't expect to have a black experience, nor did the university promise me anything. Uh, of such. Um, and it certainly didn't market the school that way. However, now that efforts have really been made to attract more students of color, I think everyone at the university has to work together to identify and dismantle all forms of institutional and systemic racism yeah. that exists across the university. Um, we, we have to work together to create an inclusive community that allows all of our students to feel involved, engaged, uh, safe, um, a part of the larger community. Um, it takes hard work, but I'm confident that the university is up to the task. Um, let's also acknowledge that Trinity is no different than any other institution in the country. Yeah. Right? All of our institutions have considerable work to do in undoing uh, their racist systems and practices. Um, but my hope is that uh, Trinity breaks out of sort of uh, ultimately breaks out of this regional category of colleges and universities, becomes a top nationally ranked and known university and attracts more and more students of color yeah. who can thrive and can flourish and learn as I did at the university some 30 years or more ago. Gosh, Scott, I wish we had another hour or two or three or four, because I, I would love to continue to have this conversation about class ideas or book ideas, structures um, around organizational, you know, organizational reporting lines and structures and some of the things that, that you and I have, have had 
you know, multi-hour conversation on. But I think what you just said there is a is a is a great place to push pause on the conversation for now. Certainly, the conversation uh, isn't going to end. And and you know, my sincere hope would be that that folks who are listening to this podcast will um, will have some of the same kind of conversations that that you and I have had about how what their experiences have been. And I, I think there's a lot of learning and growth that happens through listening. And I really value and appreciate your willingness to um, share your story and help us listen uh, a little bit better as we all try to, to, to you know, day by day, um, you know, I want to be better than I was yesterday, right? And, and just that, that those kind of, you know, in sports term, kind of marginal gains. And, and I, I know our conversations have helped me in that regard. And uh, and I hope again those who listen to this who listen to this conversation will will if they haven't already will will start to engage in some of those conversations with people that are important to them in their lives. Well, uh, Jacob, I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier Arthur Ashe and Jackie Robinson, UCLA, their connection to UCLA. When you go to UCLA. They have um, centers and, and monuments and statues to these gentlemen um, for what they, they did. Um, and I know Trinity had a rich history um, of sort of being at the forefront of integrating um, as it relates to athletics in uh, way before their Southern counterparts or peer institutions did, um, you know. And so I, I would love to see Trinity do a better job at highlighting some of those individuals that were the pioneers that came in the early 50s to integrate and also to I know Knock is Levi Knock Knight is in the Hall of Fame but I'm going to advocate right here um, that that new stadium they're building for football mm. that that stadium be named after Knock because there's not one athlete male or female black or white who has a bad word to say about that man um, and he was the heart and soul of the athletic program. And he guided and carried and nurtured every athlete in that program. Um, so I'd like to at least make that, be an advocate for that, uh, if I've got a podium to stand on right now. Well, it, it's it's out there. And so, so now we'll, uh, we know who to send the podcast to to, to give it a listen, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, well, Scott, I, again, I just I greatly value and appreciate your time and, and look forward to our next conversation offline. Absolutely. Thank you again. And it's been a pleasure to be a part of this. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.